0: Hey, Kristen.
1: Yeah, Jolenta.
0: I cannot believe it's almost 2024. This year flew by so fast, I like barely even noticed it.
1: Oh, gosh. Yeah. Right? Totally agree.
0: And I was thinking about New Year's resolutions, and I realized I actually hate the phrase New Year, New You.
1: Uh, Yeah, it is totally unrealistic. Like, I'm supposed to be a whole new me, and
0: do I really want to be? Yeah. A whole new you is a big deal. And like what? Just because the calendar ended, I'm supposed to be able to magically be a whole new me or have so many New Year's resolutions that I am transformed? Like that is too much pressure.
1: Totally. It is not a small change. It's not like changing your socks. And I don't even think it's possible to change that much that quickly, to be honest with you.
0: Right? Like, who came up with New Year's resolutions anyway? We should look into this. Like, does the new year really make it possible to become a new you?
1: Yes. Let's get to the bottom of this because I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jalanta Greenberg. And this is How to Be Fine.
0: Each episode of How to Be Fine, we weigh in on what's happening in the world of happiness, health, and betterment. And we offer a bit of advice to those who want it.
1: And we'll get to that advice later in the show. But first, as usual, we're kicking things off with our hot topic. Jolenta, what is today's hot topic? I think we know what it is.
0: Well, Kristen, today's hot topic is New Year's resolutions. Ah, yes.
1: New Year's resolutions. The things that we've already said we're not necessarily into.
0: (laughs) Right. You know, those fun promises we make to ourselves during the new year that are all about habits will change or quit or add to our lives. Yes. But Kristen, where does this whole New Year, New You vibe come from? And is it even worth it to make New Year's resolutions? Do they really actually help us change for the better? Spoiler! No! Just kidding. You did research,
1: Jolenta. I know you know the real answer.
0: (laughs) Let's get into it. How did this whole New Year's resolution thing even start? Please tell us. Please. Well, Kristen, turns out this shit is old. Like, so old. The tradition of New Year's resolutions is originally accredited to the Babylonians. Like 4,000 years ago, the Babylonians took part in a 12-day New Year's celebration festival near the end of March called Akitu. I think that's how it's pronounced. And this festival was based around the spring equinox. And this was an important time of year. For an ancient agricultural society because that's when the farming season started up again and new crops were planted. And during this festival, the Babylonians would make promises to their gods, usually about repaying debt and returning borrowed items like farming supplies. Mm. And they believed that if they kept their promises, the gods would look on them favorably and bring them good fortune and good crops. That makes sense. Right. Also, love a 12-day New Year celebration.
1: Oh, you know I love 12 days of anything, including Christmas. Christmas, New Year's, what have
0: you. I like a 12-day. I feel like that takes the pressure off of, like, the one night of, like, you have to get it right this one New Year's. (laughs) It's like, it's okay. We've got, like, 11 more nights. Yes. (laughs) We need to bring that back, Jolanta. Right? Yeah. Bring back the 12-day fest. Yes. Okay. So let's fast forward To the Roman Empire. They kept up the Babylonian practice of celebrating the new year and making promises, but they moved it. In 46 BC, the Romans switched to the Julian calendar, a 12 month system. Before that, they had 10 months. And it was implemented by Julius Caesar, hence the name Julian Calendar. Mm. And this switch moved the start of the new year to January 1st. And at the new year, ancient Romans would make their promises to the god Janus. (gasps) Janus? Like Mm -hmm. January? Janus, January, get it? (laughs) That's where the name comes from. And Janus was the god of beginnings and transitions. And he was two-faced, not like a bad friend two-faced, but he had two literal faces, one facing forward and one facing back. And that way he could look to the future while being able to reflect on the past. Mm -hmm. And while a two-faced god is cool, medieval knights were like, we're going to take it up a notch. And they made new year's oaths with peacocks Kristen. Oh,
1: the nutty bird lady you're talking to mm-hmm. loves the
0: idea of this yes it was called the peacock vow and according to slate.com knights would place their hand on a live or roasted peacock and recommit themselves for the next 12 months to the ideals of chivalry Oh, I don't want to roast my peacock. I just no, want to no. hug Well, you could use the live one. You could use a live, one. Okay. Use a live okay. <laughs> one. And apparently they used peacocks because they were considered like the most noble bird and they represented nobility. So the knights were sort of re-pledging themselves for the new year in the service of nobility. Nice. Got it. So this is all medieval times. Right. Exactly. But by the 1600s, Kristen, Christianity co-opted the tradition. Like. Christianity is what to do. Yes. Christianity took out Janice and took out peacocks and added God. Mm -hmm. Christians began praying and making promises to God and attending services over the new year. One of the first mentions of a resolution in tandem with the new year came from the Christian writer Anne Halkett, and she made a diary entry on January 2nd, 1671, And the diary entry was titled Resolutions, and Mm. according to Merriam-Webster, the entry contains a number of pledges, typically taken from biblical verses, such as, I will not offend anyone. Mm. So... That's like kind of similar to modern practices, you know, a a list of promises for the new year, minus the God a little bit. And (laughs) by 1813, the phrase New Year's resolution was first put in print in a Boston magazine. So we have the phrase now.
1: Ah. So now it's been 210 years since we first saw that imprint.
0: Right, exactly. And as the years passed, the practice became more and more secular. And now we basically just make promises to ourselves, not a god or a peacock.
1: Although I do have to say the peacock. How good is that? I would make a vow to a peacock if I could.
0: Who wouldn't? Like, (laughs) come on. I just want to touch one, period, anytime. Doesn't have to be New Year's.
1: Yeah. I don't know if a peacock would let me hug it and make promises, but if it would, all you peacocks listening...
0: Go find Kristen. She's in Brooklyn. (laughs) Look her up. (laughs) If you're a peacock only.
1: Yes. All right. So let's fast forward to the present here. What do we know about resolutions as they exist today in our world?
0: Okay. So according to a 2022 YouGov.com poll, roughly a third of Americans make new year's resolutions nowadays and it's gone up a bit since the pandemic it used to be around a quarter before 2020 but apparently when a pandemic hits you want to make more promises to yourself in the new year
1: (laughs) or maybe you just need some sort of hope that things will get better even if the hope is just coming from your own head
0: right right exactly yeah (laughs) that's very true
1: so what do we know about the kinds of resolutions people make
0: So according to that same poll, here's the rough breakdown of resolutions. Around 20% of people say they want to improve their physical health. 20% say they want to save more money. 19% say they want to exercise more. 18% say they want to eat healthier. And 17% say they want to lose weight.
1: Mm. So
0: other than the money, this is a lot of like exercise and lose weight stuff.
1: Yeah, a lot of body-centric things here.
0: Yeah. And a 2020 study found similar stuff, except they found that resolutions improving mental health were also up there, along with physical fitness and weight loss, as per usual. Got
1: it. All right. So we know a third of Americans are making resolutions. We know a lot of these resolutions are about our bodies. But do we know anything about the percentage of people who actually keep their resolutions, who actually follow through on their promises to themselves?
0: Very good question. There are a number of factors that lead to successfully keeping a New Year's resolution. But the overall chance that you're going to keep one for more than a year or two, like that's slim. The group that's been looking into New Year's resolutions the longest did a study in the late 80s, and they found that 77 percent of the participants maintained their primary New Year's resolution resolution. For one week. <laughs> 50-
1: <laughs> I'm I'm, that's I'm not great. laughing at all the people out there. I'm sorry. I'm
0: not laughing at you. But that means. But yeah, that's that's we've already lost over 20 percent. Fifty five percent keep it for a month. Forty mm-hmm. percent keep it for six months and 19 percent of people keep it for two full years.
1: Wow. So, in short, that means 81% of people making resolutions are not keeping them long-term.
0: Right, right. Like, 19% for two years, honestly, is kind of surprising. But still, overall, chances are you're not going to keep a resolution long-term. And it looks like that percentage is even smaller now. Remember, those were numbers from the 80s. Mm. Recent numbers imply there's about a 9% chance of success with New Year's resolutions.
1: Oh, we got less dedicated in the last few decades. (laughs) Yeah,
0: we've (laughs) dropped the ball a bit.
1: (laughs) So what do we know about that 9%? What do we know about the people who managed to keep those resolutions? What are they doing?
0: So that 2020 study I mentioned earlier, and reminder, links to all the sources are in the show notes. That study found that participants with approach-oriented goals were significantly more successful than those with avoidance-oriented goals. 58.9% versus 47.1%.
1: And can you explain what that means, the difference between avoidance-oriented goals and approach-oriented goals?
0: So approach-oriented goals are adding something to your life, approaching something new, say, if you want to think of it that way. So learning a new skill, Mm -hmm. adding something fun to your daily routine. That's an approach-oriented goal. And those ones are working out better and people are keeping them more long-term than avoidance-oriented goals that have to do with like quitting or avoiding something. Like, I'm going to go to the arcade less or I'm going to quit smoking. Those Ah. ones are harder to do. Ones where you're avoiding a task or a habit as opposed to adding a new one. Got it. Got it. That makes sense.
1: Deprivation, not as much fun as, you know, (laughs) value-added. Exactly, right? Like, it makes total sense. So yeah,
0: it's about 60% chance of keeping an approach-oriented goal, but more of a 50% chance of an avoidance-oriented goal. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: that study did also notice that subjects with stronger support systems had greater longer-term success in keeping their goals as well.
1: That makes sense. All things in life, I think, are easier when we have
0: support. Totally agree. And a 2021 study published in the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health looked into what makes resolutions stick, and they found that being able to go with the flow helps. According to them, enhanced goal flexibility promotes well-being as it allows people to meet personal and societal expectations by adjusting to life's ever-changing constants and opportunities and feel more autonomous in relation to the self and the future.
1: So that means being a little less rigid about certain things. And I am going to go on a five-mile walk every day if the weather allows, maybe, instead of being super strict about it and like, all right, I'm going out in negative 30-degree weather and trying to do this walk today, even though there's an actual warning about public health right now to not go outside.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, if you're more flexible, you're more likely to keep it. If you're doing, you know dry january but you know there you have a wedding to go to maybe go like i'm doing a mostly dry january except for that wedding like then apparently you'll be more likely to keep dry the other times that makes sense that totally makes sense and i also found something interesting Kristen, to back up the idea of new year new you no yep i did (laughs) sadly it was a study out of pen And they noticed something called the fresh start effect. According to them, people exhibit a higher likelihood of engaging in aspirational behaviors following temporal landmarks, such as the initiation of new calendar cycles, e.g. the start of a new week, month, year or academic semester, holidays and birthdays. Mm. So it's easier to keep a resolution at the new year than, you know, on a random day but it's also easier, you know, on your birthday, the 1st of the month, you know, any other sort of important day. So it doesn't necessarily mean new year, new you. It means like new blank, new you. Yeah.
1: I'm guessing that's why we hear so many people say they're starting their diet on Monday.
0: Right. Oh my gosh, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz Thursday's no day to do it. <laughs> So, you know, while it seems like New Year's resolutions don't have that much staying power, I did find one last interesting thing. Turns out when it comes to changing habits, you'll be more effective if you make a resolution than if you don't.
1: (laughs) That seems kind of like obvious, but I mean, I don't know.
0: I don't know. To me, did it? Like, rarely, I don't always, like, declare, like, I'm doing blah, blah, blah.
1: Oh, yes. Okay. So, if I want to change a habit and I declare it out loud, I'm more likely to follow through on it, is what this is saying. Versus if I just think it. I'm just, I'm just thinking I'm going to do you this You're just thing. sort
0: of doing it on the sly, you know? Yeah. Instead of telling someone or writing it down or promising right. it. Like, okay. declaring it. Got it. A 2002 study from the Journal of Clinical Psychology followed resolvers and non-resolvers who were working on changing a problem or behavior for six months. And they found that, quote, resolvers reported higher rates of success than non-resolvers. At six months, 46% of the resolvers were continuously successful compared to 4% of the non-resolvers.
1: Wow. That's an enormous difference. Oh, my gosh. That's like more than 10 times more successful.
0: Right? It's, like, shocking. So making it a thing when you want to change a habit, sort of making it a to-do, writing it down, telling family and friends, like, declaring you're starting on Monday, that makes you far more likely to succeed than if you just think, like, I should quit smoking. I'm just going to do it. And then, like, don't tell anyone and kind of keep it a secret. Isn't that interesting?
1: Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. So. Jolenta, Mm -hmm. I have to ask you, though, after doing all of this research, I mean, you and I kid around about New Year, New You, and we roll our eyes at it. But after doing all this research, have you changed your mind at all on that? Do you want to be a New
0: You in the new year? Oh, my gosh. Well, Kristen, I usually don't make New Year's resolutions because… Who cares? Because I think they're corny because I'm like, whatever. I'm always breaking promises to myself. Like, why do it on like a larger scale, like on January 1st? I usually don't. But I kind of want to try an additive one now that I know that like you have a chance of being more successful if you're adding a habit or something to your routine as opposed to, you know, eating less sugar, or, like restricting TV watching. So maybe I'll try adding something enjoyable, like playing piano more, but I'm not totally sold because, you know, in a year or two, only 9% of us keep that resolution (laughs) going. So like, maybe I'll be playing more piano, but like, don't hold your breath. All right. Well, I won't ask for a concert next year at this time. I will not. No, you could be (laughs) disappointed. Although I had made it a secret resolution, but maybe I should say it out loud. I do want to be able to play the Cheers theme song for Brad because we've been watching old TV shows. So maybe I should try and additive that to my life.
1: Oh, that is so sweet. Imagine him coming home. And then oh the my theme gosh. song starts playing. Yeah. Oh my and gosh. it's
0: yeah. me, not, no. not the TV. So we'll <laughs> see. We'll see how that goes. I have declared it now, so I am more likely to follow through. <laughs> <laughs> What about you, Kristen? Are you into New Year's resolutions? I know you dabble in, like, dry months or, like, running more and stuff. I know you do stuff like it, but I don't know if it's always around New Year's. Yeah. What's what's your New Year's deal? Yeah,
1: I hate resolutions at New Year's. Got
0: it. I'm just going to straight talk
1: here and say I hate New Year's. I really do. I think it can be a very sad day for a lot of people. I think it can be a bummer to some people who really wish they had a romantic partner feeling like they have nobody to kiss at midnight. I think it can be a time of looking back for some people, not with joy at the last year, but about things that weren't so great. And I think it can sometimes feel overwhelming looking ahead to the new year and think... I have to change myself. I have to do better. I think that can be very sad too for a lot of people. And totally. there's just so much buildup to it, and we're all supposed to be wearing sequins and drinking champagne and Making having fun. Out. Yeah, and and maybe it just doesn't feel like that to a lot of us. So I, I I think New Year's Eve can be a real bummer. I've had some fun New Year's Eves and I've had some sad ones. So Oof, yeah, yeah. So I I'm kind of not really raw rah New Year's Eve anyway. And then the resolution thing makes me sad also in a lot of ways because. It somehow seems to be announced into the world. Hey, let me tell you what's fucked up about me and what needs to be yeah. fixed. Here's how I'm judging myself. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm not a big fan of that, but you're right. I do throughout the year usually try new things. Maybe I'll try a dry month here. Maybe I'll try to
0: wear the same dress for a hundred days. A
1: hundred and one. Yes, I did that last year. Yeah. I also last year decided I was going to try to listen to as many audiobook memoirs as I could while I walked, and Mm -hmm. I ended up listening to over 50 of them. And, you know, it's fun to have things to add to my list of things I want to try to do, but I don't know if I see them so much as promises to myself as it would be great to try new things. It would be great to expand my life and have new experiences, Maybe, yeah. I don't know. Is that a cop-out answer? Maybe no, I am a resolutions no. person and I won't acknowledge
0: it. Oh no, God. I, don't th- I think you like a self-challenge once in a while, but not necessarily a resolution. Plus, isn't New Year's basically your birthday? So who wants to be like, time to cut out sugar. Also, happy <laughs> birthday. Like.
1: <laughs> That's a good point. That's a really good point, Jolenta. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. But My birthday and New Year's Eve are pretty much like right at the same time. So, yeah, that's another aspect of it, too. I think you're right.
0: (laughs) Well, what about you, listeners? Are you into New Year's resolutions? Do you make them? Do you hate them? Do you have any juicy resolution success or failure stories? Send them our way. You can hit us up on Facebook, Facebook.com slash groups slash Kristen Angelenta, or you can just email us, Kristen Angelenta at gmail dot com.
1: Coming up, we hear from a letter writer who's struggling with the limitations of medical vulnerability. Hey, everyone. We're back with our first letter of the day. Jalenta, what do they say?
0: Our letter writer says, Dear Kristen and My husband has a health condition that makes him high risk for some scary health outcomes if he were to contract COVID. Because of this, we are both still taking serious COVID precautions, including masking with N95s whenever we share air with others and avoiding high-risk activities like air travel or events in crowded spaces. While the first few years of COVID were certainly scary, I'm finding this phase of the pandemic to be the hardest on my mental health. I try hard to find joy in small things like playing with my dog, enjoying nature, or cooking a good meal. But it doesn't quite seem to balance out the negative feelings that come from living in a world where it's harder to stay safe every day. And my friends seem perfectly content to move on and go back to normal. I'd love to hear from Jolenta and other high-risk hotties who listen to the show. What are you doing to keep your head above water these days?
1: Oh, letter Ugh. writer. Ugh. I think, Jolenta, both you and I feel this pain. Both of us. Right. Both of us come from households with
0: autoimmune illnesses. Yes, exactly. Kristen is relatively COVID cautious, and so am I still.
1: (laughs) Yes, I'm still that woman who's wearing the mask in Target. That's me. Hells
0: yes. (laughs) First of all, this shit is hard, and it's unyielding and unrelenting and all the other uns. It's basically impossible to, quote, like, just keep yourself safe the way, you know, the CDC implies is possible. Like, it's not, and it's exhausting and nerve-wracking. And you did make one little nod to one of my coping strategies slash rage outlets, which is high-risk hottie, which is an Instagram account I started. Is it? (laughs) Yes, it's at high-risk hottie, and I make little, like, memes where I express rage, thoughts, anything to do with what it's like being high risk in a pandemic that most people don't acknowledge or take any precautions for anymore. So, yeah. And I made it a separate account because, like you mentioned, Letter Writer. Able-bodied friends, friends who don't need to remain COVID conscious, like they don't get it and they kind of don't like to hear about it because it's a quote downer to remember that like your actions still could be, you know, affecting other people's health and putting them in the hospital. Like no one wants to think about that. No one wants to think about The fact that they could be exposing their kids to something that, like, isn't great. They don't want to be reminded of it. So I have learned I'll make a new account for it. And that way I can find people who do want to be reminded or who do feel similarly. And at first I was like, this is a cop out. I'm like not confronting people with the realities of COVID constantly on my own Instagram. And then I'm like, but also it's helping me find like minded people on Instagram. So, like, I'm all for it. Yeah.
1: I would say that you're touching on something really important there, Jolenta. You know, if you're feeling alone, to connect with other like-minded people. And there are a lot of ways to do it. Instagram is just one way, you know. Exactly. There are communities online. There are remote support groups. There are, you know, therapists and so on who specialize in this. But you do not have to go this alone. It does not have to feel like just you and your dog against the world or you and your husband against the world. It doesn't have to feel that way, even though... It's still going to feel that way sometimes. It doesn't have right. to be just you by yourself here.
0: Yeah, it'll feel that way at the store still when you're the only person in a mask. <laughs> but uh, it doesn't feel that way necessarily in other places. There are lots of online communities, like Kristen was saying. Look up groups, still coveting is sort of like the main phrase used on Facebook. I'm a member of a bunch of different still coveting Facebook groups. There are ones specifically for high-risk individuals, ones for people who want, like, the latest scientific updates, and there are hyper-local ones. Like, I'm in a New York still covid group, and, you know, that's where you might make some new friends because— One of the easiest ways to cope with this sort of new reality is to find other people who have to live in it, too, because your friends, you almost have to like compartmentalize them because the ones that have moved on have moved on. And it sucks. And they can be difficult to deal with. So finding new people who understand your reality is great. And the hyper local Facebook groups like there are people going on walks in a park near me and they all sort of sign up in the group and everyone meets up and wears a mask and it's glorious. But Making new friends, finding online communities is definitely going to help because, believe me, you can't convert all your old friends. They don't like it.
1: I will say this, though, as far as your old friends are concerned. Mm -hmm. As you know, Jolenta, the vast majority of my socializing is still outside. Exactly. The majority of it is you know let's meet outside for a cup of coffee let's go on a walk let's go bird watching let's just you know sit out here on open streets which is this pedestrian mall yeah. thing that they do every weekend on my street and just sit out there at a table and don't almost every time i've run into you over the last few years other than that one time i was at your apartment a few weeks ago yeah
0: other than the time you had to come over but. yes um <laughs>
1: has been you seeing me on open street, sitting out talking with my neighbors.
0: Yeah. One time I was walking to my mom's house and then we just see Kristen and Dean hanging outside and we stop and chat with them. And it's like totally COVID safe and it feels like you're a normal human, like running into people, you know.
1: Yeah. So, you know, as far as your friends go, it's not like you always have to be inside with them. You don't always have to you know, right. be in a restaurant. A lot of restaurants still have outdoor seating. A lot of coffee shops still have cafe tables outside. Parks still exist. All of these things still exist. Right. And I know not everybody's like me. Maybe it's the Minnesota in me, but I'm also <laughs> really happy to go out for a cup of coffee wearing my snow pants when it's winter, for example. I don't mind it either. Yeah. And yeah. as you know, Jolenta, you know me in my pink snowsuit. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it year round.
0: It's really cute. It's like the kind with a bib. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and like Kristen was saying, it's not like, get rid of your old friends. They don't get it. But make sure that people just understand your terms, and then they're usually happy to roll with it. I have friends who know like it's outside only, or if they want to come in, I need them to have tested, and like I'm going to be running the air purifier full blast and have a window open. And most people... Once you sort of like prep them for that and they understand like what your sort of boundaries and needs are, they're pretty happy to meet you where you need to be. So don't be shy about asking for the precautions you need in order to see the people you love or do the things you want to do as well. Brad just had to do this with work. He had to do something where he had to get makeup put on and he was nervous about like, oh, is it going to disrupt the flow of things and ask to have the person put a mask on while they do his makeup or take him out of this crowded makeup room. And the makeup person was happy to oblige and happy to take him to a different space and do the makeup. And it's easy peasy. Once, once people know what you need, they're happy to do it yeah. for the most part, unless they're dicks. And then if they're dicks, now you have a test to see who's a dick or not. <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> but I want to believe most of your
0: friends and family, Right,
1: they love you and they'll want to do what's
0: right, right. for you. So while this is super hard, there are ways to cope and it sounds like you're already nailing it as far as like being in nature and focusing on your dog and the little things. And I believe in you. You are a high risk coddy, and you are strong. All right. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. But before
1: we do, we'd be so grateful if all of you out there took just a brief moment to rate us and review us in your pod players. Give us those five stars. Drop in a few words of support if you'd like. Tell us a topic that you want us to talk about on the
0: show in your review if you like. We read all those reviews. Coming up, a letter writer who's looking for a literary community. We are back with our second letter of the day. Kristen, would you read this one, please?
1: Yes, I would. Our second letter writer says, Dear Kristen Angelenta, I'm curious. I know that you've been in IRL book clubs over the years. How did you find your book groups? I'm hoping to join a
0: book club in the town where I live, and I don't really know where to find one. Such a good question. Kristen, I know you are in an IRL book club. Yes. So you're going to be the expert, but I'm going to weigh in first. Yes, I go you. for it. Go for it. I would say I would look for... Facebook groups with interests that you have, and then maybe suggest a book club in there, like find a local like Facebook group for film nerds or something, and then be like, does anyone want to do a book club? Because I find book clubs that are based around like a shared interest, not just like sort of amorphous book club, Mm -hmm. tend to be easier to sort of organize and keep going. For some reason, that little bit of purpose tends to help. So you can you can maybe try and start one or hop into one if you have an interest you really like and find that through Facebook. There's also Meetup. I have never had good luck with Meetup personally, but that could just be a me thing. I know lots of book groups post themselves on Meetup when they're looking for new people. Yes, I second
1: all of that, Jolenta. I know a lot of people who've found their book groups through Meetup and through Facebook. And then I also agree with your genre-specific idea, because I know a lot of friends who are just in sci-fi book clubs, or my friend Gretchen right. Rubin is in a YA the book YA, club. Yeah. Yeah. So there are a variety of book clubs out there centered around interest. There are also Facebook groups that are just for your neighborhood. If you want to, you know, join a neighborhood group. I, I'm in two Facebook neighborhood groups where we just, you know, talk about traffic issues or <laughs> neighborly things or you know whatnot. We we talk about neighborhood stuff, but a lot of people go on there and ask questions like, would anybody want to start a book club? And that gets posted at least once every three months and everyone's like, yes.
0: Right. Yeah. Or like the next door app is sort of a similar vibe to like yes. neighborhood groups. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yes. Absolutely. I'd also recommend when it comes to online resources, going to bookclubs.com. Bookclubs.com is a place yeah. where people Either list book clubs they want members for or where you yourself can start a book club, put a posting up and say, I want to start a book club about this and this is what I'm hoping to have in my group. What you're hoping to have in your group could vary widely. It could be like, I want a book club that's only for women over 50 where right. we talk about menopause, midlife, and whatever other issues are important to you and read books along those lines. Or it could be, you know, not around age or gender, but around another issue that's really important to you where you are like a nonfiction book club or a memoir book club. It could be a lot of things, you know. So definitely look on bookclubs.com. I'd also suggest, if you haven't already, talking to your local bookstores and public library. Yeah a lot of the times they have book clubs themselves or have resources to help you launch your own book club or advice on how to do that. As for the book club that I'm in, I think, now I've been in it for over 10 years now, so my memory is not as sharp as I'd like it to be, but it was either on Meetup or on book clubs or on another website, and my friend Allie started it. Allie was new to New York. And she has moved around a lot. Every time she moves, she starts a new book club to meet friends. And her idea was that the book club could only have strangers. I've talked about this back on Buy the Book back in the day. But the rule is you can't invite your friends to be in the book club. This is supposed to be a fresh ecosystem. This is supposed to be not you hanging out with your regular gang. This is supposed to be other people who you don't know in real life, really. And the people in this book club have rotated in and out. Some of us have been in it for almost the entirety of the 10 years. Some people have only been in for five years only. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. And it's wonderful. And in a lot of ways, it's a support group because we can talk about things that maybe are frustrating us in other parts of our life. And it won't get back to that one person. And it won't hurt that person's feelings out in the bigger world because it's just within the book club, if that makes sense. So, you know, every book club is different. And you can set up those kinds of rules too. Our book club, the one I'm in, Somebody in the book club just said, a friend of a friend wants to join. I only met her once for 15 minutes. Can she join? Because she's not really a friend. And we all said, yeah, as long as she's not a friend of yours, that's fine. (laughs) The whole rule about having people who are strangers for us has been really useful. But other people want different things. Some people only want a book club where it's like all the neighbors on their street. And if that's what you want you can start reaching out to the neighbors on your street and see if any of them want to do that. So there are a lot of ways to do this, but there are also a lot of resources. You don't have to knock on everybody's door if you don't want to.
0: Right. But we are definitely giving you the message that you may have to start your own as opposed to like popping yourself into one. Yes. But there are many ways.
1: Yes. Oh, one last thing I want to add. It may be the case for you that maybe you'll try to join another book club and it won't be a fit at first. Ooh, that definitely happened to me. The first couple of book clubs I tried to join, one was way too large. It was like, ugh, it must have been 50 people in that room. I'm like, this is not conducive to what I want a book club to be. Right.
0: This isn't a chill little hangout with a few people I get to know intimately. This is a lecture.
1: Exactly. That's
0: how it felt. And
1: then I tried to sit in on another book club and it was definitely that kind of book club where we all know who's going to do all the talking in this book club, and we know the rest of us are never going to get a word in edgewise. And mm. that just wasn't a fit either. And some people like that because they feel like, oh, this one person who talks a lot, I don't have to expend any energy myself. I can just sit here and relax while they talk about the book. If that's something you want, there's definitely book clubs like that. But it's okay if you try one or two and they don't fit for you. And then eventually you'll find one that fits, which I feel like is kind of the way of life, right? Whether it's a therapist or a new friend group, sometimes the first or second time isn't quite the fit, but maybe the third time will be.
0: Right, totally. That's a good thing to remember. Don't get down on yourself if you find one and you're like, I hate the vibe (laughs) Yes. You just got to keep trucking. And we believe in you and your love of books. Yes. And also, listeners, we want to hear how you've found your book clubs. So get in touch. Also, just want
1: to put in a plug here, Jolenta, for our Patreon. Oh, right. Yes. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash listen to buy the book. It's still called Listen to Buy the Book. We don't know if we're going to change it. Maybe we will. But... Every week, we release a minisode where Jalent and I talk about the books we're reading that week. Jalent and I are both voracious readers, and we read such a wide variety of things, nonfiction, memoirs, uh, historical fiction. We read such a wide array of things. So... Definitely check that out. Again, that's patreon.com slash listen to buy the book. And that might be a good virtual book club for you to be in while you look for your IRL book club.
0: Sort of (laughs) supplement that book club need for a minute. Yes. Yes. And that is it for this episode of How to Be Fine. Huge thanks to our executive producer, Nora Ritchie, our producer, Chantelle Holder, and our composer and engineer, Casey Holford.
1: Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Talenta Greenberg. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See you next week. Until then, stay fine.
0: Stitcher.